to hand over to Jenny. Can you make it so that I can see everyone? Hello, everyone. I want to see all of you. <laughs> oh, you can't? No. Oh, I can't. Okay. I'll just have to um, imagine you all. Well, um, good morning, everybody, again. You've got my beautiful face back. <laughs> um, I have to say this morning, um, I'm feeling the weight of responsibility this morning because it's a privilege every time that we open the bible and you're given the privilege to be the person that's guiding everybody's thoughts that's always a privilege um but i have to say that this particular passage the more i read the bible the more and more convinced i become the more i believe god is telling me that this is one of the really key passages this is like a really key important part of the gospel and i think it's so important because it can get quite easily overlooked um and like what really blew me away as i was preparing this week is that incredibly almost two thousand years after it was taught this passage about who is the greatest is still as countercultural as it has ever been. You know, we've had 2000 years of knowing about this teaching of Jesus, knowing that this is what he had to say. And still 2000 years later, it still comes as a bolt to the heart, you know, a shock <laughs> because this is this is life changing stuff. Who is the greatest is the servant of all. This is incredible. Um, and yeah, I just I wanted to get us into the place of thinking about what our culture actually says about greatness and help us to think about how and why this is just still such a shocking thing to hear. Um, and I think now as much as ever, our culture, the, the kind of the culture that we inhabit and we live in teaches us to crave success. It teaches us to crave fame. It teaches us to crave wealth and it teaches us to crave winning, you know, winning and power and success. And perhaps most of all, it teaches us to crave influence. Um, and indeed, in the last 10 years, those of you that are kind of on the social media scene will know that in the last 10 years, a whole new career has actually developed where you can now become an influencer. So if you have a lot of followers on social media, um, you can actually make money from the influence that you have over other people. So our society is still telling us that one of the best things you can be to become great is to influence other people, to be successful and um, to be a kind of a winner, you know, be one of life's winners. Um, and I think something that I've been reflecting on this week is that in the church, we are by no means free or immune from this kind of message you know this kind of temptation this kind of craving finds its way into the church so often <laughs> which is sad but also it's really worth like bringing to light you know so i discovered a while ago and i found this kind of interesting that there's actually a conference a, a gathering that exists for pastors of churches who have more than a thousand members don't know if you knew that. I found that out a few years ago. 
that if you are a pastor of a church that has more than a thousand members, you can go to a special meeting <laughs> to discuss how you can share your wisdom about how to scale up your church and how um, and how we can teach other pastors how to be as successful as we are, <laughs> uh, which is kind of a challenge for me and Sam. You know, we're pastors of a church. We think you're wonderful, but there are not a thousand of us just yet, so we wouldn't get invited to that meeting. And um, I'm not interested in shaming anybody in the church. I love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and I want to honour all of them. And I know that in their heart, there is a real longing to find really incredible ways to tell this message, this gospel message of Jesus. And so, you know, I want to honour that and I want to honour their desire to get this message out there as much as they can. I really want to honour that. But I guess what I wanted to pick up on when we think about greatness is that the world's understanding of greatness always tends to come with a sense of exclusivity you know like to be great you have to fit into this this bracket and not everybody can be great can't all be great just a few specific people can be great and we then all crave that kind of acknowledgement we crave that kind of success we crave to be one of those great people of the small number of people that can be great not like one of those kind of standard people we want and we do this all the time as Christians too, and in the church. And um, I don't know who in the breakout time you chose as one of your heroes of the faith. Um, but even this kind of language, I think, is a challenge to what Jesus has to say about greatness. Because so often when we think about um, our heroes, and I, I hope that you pick some of the people that you know in real life as well. But for me, for sure, when I think about my heroes of the faith, I often think about those really well-renowned ones, you know, the famous ones, the ones that did incredible things for Jesus, like none of us can ever quite attain their kind of incredible levels of discipleship. Um, so I might think about Wesley, for example, I might think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I might think about Mother Teresa, I might think about all of these people who we know have been incredible followers of Jesus, but still, they've achieved this kind of sense of um, influence and importance to us because we all know about them so therefore they are the successful disciples um, and even that i think can be a challenge to what jesus has to say because if we believe what jesus is saying in this passage even they are not the greatest you know they are faithful servants of christ i do not want to undermine john wesley my goodness like i owe a lot to that guy <laughs> he's taught me a lot about what it is to follow jesus i don't want to undermine him but if we understand jesus properly wesley as as and cool as he is as amazing follower of jesus as he is he's no greater than any other servant of christ he's not more of a hero he's just one of the many 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 heroes um, if this makes sense. And if we're to believe this passage, the people that are the hero, 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 heroes, you know, the ones with just honour and honour and honour, Jesus honours and honours and honours and honours them, they are the lowliest servants. The absolute lowliest. So I, I, um, I've been imagining this week, I've been imagining what the roll call in heaven is going to look like. And um, we're all in heaven okay put yourself in heaven we're all standing there in heaven um and jesus is like honoring people he's turning up and he's, he's saying oh i've got to got to give you my roll call of people that i'm going to honor 
Um, and guys, have you heard about Enid? Like, have you heard about Enid? This is what is being said in heaven. She served the biscuits at the toddler group every single week for 40 years and she smiled at those children as they came in and she welcomed them oh, i just in it guys like have you met her and everybody's walking around in heaven and um and we happen to like get a glimpse of enid and we're like oh my goodness you will not believe who i just met i just met enid like it's enid guys it's enid oh it's so exciting and oh, do you know what? I even got a selfie with Enid. <laughs> like, this is what Jesus is saying. These are the people of honor amongst us. I, I just took a selfie with Enid. I am so excited. Or, um, you know, we just, we had the privilege just then of um, chatting to Nana in, um, in Mali. Was she in Mali or Burkina Faso? I had the kids, it was a bit mixed up. But we just had the privilege of chatting to her and the people in Burkina Faso that we will never hear about that are serving their communities in the name of Jesus. When we get to heaven and we have that honor roll, that roll call, there is there is there are those people right at the front of the place of honor, the lowliest servants. They are in this place of honor. And Oh, that just fills me with so much joy. <laughs> it fills me with so much joy. I don't know if you've ever, like lots of people say this, don't they, sometimes, like who would be in your dream dinner party? Um, and I don't know who would be in your, you know, your fantasy dinner party. If you could have anybody round, who would you have? And we often like to think of people that we'll never have the chance to meet, you know, like, oh, I'd love to meet this person. They're so cool. They're so amazing. I'd love to hang out with them. And I just feel like this passage turns that on its head so much to help us understand who it is that sits in the place of honor in the kingdom of God. Um, and I guess the reason that I particularly want to like focus in on how I know that this is a such a key passage for understanding the gospel is, I'm gonna do my Bible bit now, um, is knowing the context in which this passage sits. So I'm going to bring up a very long list of Bible verses. I hope it doesn't make you feel nervous. Um, sometimes when we see a lot of text all at once, we can all feel a little bit nervous. I do too. Um, but here we go. I want us to have a little look at Mark chapters eight and nine, the whole bit. Because sometimes when we can take little slices of scripture out of context, we just don't quite realize like how important they are because of, we need to understand everything else that's going on um at the same time so um as ian was telling us about last week um we are coming through a section where we are learning we are really trying to get our heads around who jesus thinks the messiah is so jesus at this particular point when he's teaching his disciples about who is great at this particular point he is talking about um who the who the son of man is who the messiah is and he keeps repeating himself you know he's really trying to hammer that message home he's trying to get people to understand and the disciples is just not going in you know like jesus is saying it over and over again and it's just not going the disciples are not computing this message so in chapter 8 um verse 31 he's telling them the son of man must suffer um and peter rebukes him um and this isn't the message that Peter really wanted to hear. He thought when he was hanging out with Jesus, 
he was going to be hanging out with a really great dude, you know, like a really cool, important, impressive man. And some of that cool, important, impressiveness would rub off on him. But Jesus is saying, no, the son of man has come to be humbled and to suffer. I'm not going to be the guy that everyone's shouting and raving for. Ultimately, I'm going to be the guy that is killed. And Peter's like, no, that's not right. That's not successful. You've got it wrong, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, no, really. That's what I'm trying to say. And he just keeps saying this to the disciples who are to lots of, in lots of different ways, not really wanting to hear it. So um, in chapter eight, verse 34, again, he says to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. To be my disciple is not to be one of the people the world deems as the kind of great cool guys necessarily. It's about humbling yourself and they're like, no, I'm not sure I'm buying that. I'm not sure that that's what I really want, want to think is what the Messiah is supposed to be about. Um, and then we have the transfiguration and the disciples cast out a demon. I'll come back to that. That's why it's in purple. And then in chapter nine, verse 30, he says it again. The son of man is going to be delivered into human hands. He will be killed and after three days rise again. And I think that this is really important. The next bit that I've written right at the bottom of the screen but they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask about it I think what's really important is that Jesus keeps saying to them this is who he is and they keep wanting to bat that away and be like no that's not really what I want you to be so Peter rebukes Jesus the first time he really says it and this next time in chapter nine they are they don't understand and they're afraid to ask about it and I think we need to think why are they afraid to ask Jesus about what he's saying. And, I, and the thing that came to me as I kept reading this is they're afraid because he's saying something to them. They're not sure they want that to be true. <laughs> they're not sure that's what they really want Jesus to represent and be. They wanted him to be something else. And so they don't really want to push him on that because they don't want him to just keep repeating himself. They're hoping that they can find a loophole still somewhere. That's what I think. And then after um, after this passage, oh, look, you can see my face again now. After this passage, um, then they start arguing about who is the greatest. So it's very clear at this point when they're arguing about who is the greatest, they are not wanting to hear what it is that Jesus is trying to say to them about who he is. They really, <laughs> they're still trying to find that loophole. You know, no, I just, I really don't want that to be true, Jesus. I don't want you to change my reality so much. I still want to find a little slice of human worldly importance. Um, and I think it's interesting to think about where this question might have been coming from for the disciples. So I think that it really comes from a place of insecurity in them, their own insecurity. And so they're casting about, like looking for some kind of personal importance because they themselves are feeling really insecure and to be honest you can when you look at the context going back to my context slide now when you look at the context of where this is happening you can kind of understand why they're feeling insecure on a worldly in a worldly way because in chapter nine the transfiguration has happened so this is when this incredible glorious moment happens on a mountain and jesus took peter james and john with him so 
they might have started thinking, oh, does that make Peter, James and John more important? Because they went with Jesus to this kind of, does that make them more, are they, are they more important? And then in the next bit, in chapter 9, 14 to 29, the disciples have this big fat failure on their hands because they're trying to cast a demon out of a boy and they think they've got all, they're all over this, they've got it, they can be successful disciples and they fail and um they don't manage to cast the demon out and they're like what's going on so you can kind of understand where their insecurity come is coming from when we look at um all of those situations in very worldly terms we can think that the transfiguration made them feel insecure because there's this sense of exclusivity they think oh i want to be one of the special ones that goes with jesus to see the incredible things so they're working on the idea that, oh, who's greater? The one that gets the most exclusivity, coming back to my point about greatness being exclusive. Um, or they may be thinking that greatness is about success, how successful I can be. Um, am I the one that's always successful in casting out the demons? Is that where my greatness comes from? And so they're feeling really insecure about themselves. Am I not good enough? Am I not successful enough? who is the greatest one here let me understand myself in this pecking order um and so you can kind of see where that insecurity is coming from but the reason they're insecure is because they're still so attached to the old model of greatness the old and in fact when i say the old model of greatness it's still the model of greatness that we generally operate on in the world today <laughs> so i mean the not jesus model of greatness I mean, the model of greatness that values those things that I was talking about at the beginning, that values fame, that values success, that values influence, that values wealth, um, that model of greatness, because they want to be special. They want to be the ones that are exclusive. But Jesus has been repeatedly trying to get them to understand, no, no, this is not what I am about. I am about humility. I have come to bring in a new world order, a new kingdom that is not about some people being great and some people being lowly. In fact, it flips it on its head. The lowly are the great and the great are the lowly. We see this repeated time and time again in the Old Testament. We see it in Isaiah. We see it in Hannah's song um, in Samuel. This idea that actually God's kingdom turns on its head um, everything and to be humbled is the new great to be great is the new humbled and this is why jesus keeps saying to them the son of man must suffer and be killed you think that my greatness will be revealed in me conquering and being victorious on some kind of battlefield my greatness will be revealed in my submission to the world and then god will glorify that when i rise again and that just changes everything and that's why I think this passage is so important for how we understand the gospel, because it changes our it has to change our entire worldview. It has to change the way that we understand ourselves as followers of Jesus. So I want to focus in now on why this is such liberating, life giving, wonderful, great news for us because it is it's such great it's so freeing it's freeing it's incredible because all of a sudden honor and greatness are not limited and they are not exclusive before we have always understood that only a few people get to be great and successful 
only a few like really important cool people get to be great and all of a sudden that's not true that's not true in the kingdom of god that's not how god measures greatness that is not how god values you he all of us can be greatest in the kingdom if we are willing to serve if we are willing to be the servant of all we can all take that place of greatness and that's incredible news <laughs> we don't have to prove ourselves to the world anymore god is looking at you and your service and your love for one another and he's saying you are so honored that's incredible news um and i again i'm going to paint an imaginary picture to help us understand this in our own lives because i know in this beautiful church particularly there are lots of servants and carers amongst us um lots and lots and so next time that you are cleaning a toilet in a care home <laughs> perhaps i know there's lots of people that work in care homes um next time you are well this 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 speaks to me next time you're wiping your children's bum when they've done a poo in their nappy <laughs> this is true um next time you are sweeping the floor for somebody else next time you do somebody else's dishes for them and just do it out of love um next time you are willing to serve in any lowly way i want you to put on your sunglasses <laughs> your imaginary sunglasses your imaginary cool person sunglasses and say to yourself i am kind of a big deal <laughs> like I'm a really big deal. I am here wiping up the poo. I am cleaning the toilets. I am a big deal because that's how Jesus sees me. You know, the world might laugh at you. The world might say, oh, you're just pathetic. You're just doing everybody else's dirty work. You are saying, I am the person right now. Like I am standing in the place of honor. Um, I want you to think of it as your red carpet moment. Okay, so like your, you're cleaning your toilet and imagine yourself walking down a red carpet and the light bulbs are flashing because the heavenly host are surrounding you. You are surrounded by a crowd of great witnesses who are saying, woohoo, here they come. This is the really cool person. Everybody wants a selfie from you. Everybody wants to know your name. This is the kingdom of God in which you are holding the place of honor in your service. Don't forget about all that other stuff about competing for greatness and trying to trick someone out of their money so you can have more money. Rubbish! You already are standing in the place of honour. This is the kingdom of God. And like that is liberating. We don't have to scrap anymore to be noticed or appreciated. We don't have to do that. We can love each other through our service and know that that is where we find our honour. <laughs> that's incredible i yeah and um i as i was reflecting on this i was thinking about my dream dinner party this bit's going to make me really tearful because i've been so grateful this week um thinking about my dream dinner party and and all of a sudden i'm realizing i don't have to wait till i get to heaven I already spend my days with the people who are the heroes in God's kingdom. I already spend my days with you. 
<laughs> and you are a beautiful people that God wants to honour. Those of you who serve in this church, which you do, I get, I'm going to try and go through all of you because I just want you to know this. I get to have at my dinner party, Arthur and Claudia, who willingly, <laughs> Claudia willingly welcomes, I mean, we don't have it at the moment, but has willingly welcomed toddlers. Arthur has willingly led at Bible studies. I get to spend my days with them. These are people of honour. I get to spend my days with Hannah and Youngen, uh, Youngen, who has just started um, working as a carer and is caring for people. Hannah, who looks after her children and wipes their noses when they cry. I get to spend my time with people of honour. I get to spend my time with Joan and Bernie. Joan, who for many, many years has welcomed children into our church so beautifully. Bernie, who has fixed all kinds of things that you didn't know could be broken in the church. I just, I just need you to know, Tony, who has been uploading things onto our website, Matty, who goes into care homes and cares for people and nurses people. Um, I want to honour Emma and invite her to my best ever dinner party because she digs up flower beds and plants flowers. I want to honour Dan and invite him to my incredible Heroes of the Faith dinner party because he spends time making sure that the worship that we sing together is beautiful and makes a beautiful sound to the Lord. I want to honour John and Lynn. Oh my goodness, I could carry on. In fact, maybe I just will. I want to honour John who sits at that table with Jonathan uh, and gives foods to people who are hungry. Like here is a hero of our faith. I want to honour Lynn who meticulously looks at our Bible passages when she comes to preach them and helps us to unpack and understand them. Jonathan, I want to honour because he has through this pandemic so beautifully and selflessly delivered food. I could carry on. I, I'm not going to mention every single thing because I think this could go on and on and on. But let me tell you, all of you, I want to honour because you are heroes of the faith when you serve. And I don't exclude any of you from that list. So I'm only stopping because I don't want us to be here till one o'clock, although maybe that would be the, the better thing to do. And I get to see you every day and I don't have to wait. I'm already standing in that place of honour, um, which is so beautiful. So I guess my challenge um, today to have a challenge is why is it so hard to believe? Why are we not just so excited about this news? Why are we still striving for the success that the world wants to give rather than the success that Jesus wants to, that the, the honour that Jesus wants to give us? And maybe it's because like the disciples, sometimes it's really hard to believe and maybe we don't want to believe it like the disciples faced this problem they kept resisting jesus when he was saying this they kept saying no no like i don't want that i want you to be cool and amazing and awesome i want the world to acknowledge you the way that um i want you to seem great and i wonder if sometimes some of us have what i'm going to call a real world insurance policy do we kind of we want to believe this thing about jesus but i'm just gonna have a little insurance about my greatness in the world, just in case I'm wrong. Um, and so we still strive after some of the things that the world wants to give us honour for, rather than the things that Jesus wants to give us honour for. 
Um, and maybe you recognize that in yourself. I recognize that in myself so much, so much. Um, and I am in the process of trying to hand that insurance policy back to Jesus. <laughs> and I encourage you to take that journey with me of trying to rip up that real world insurance policy and throw it away and say, it is the honor that Jesus wants to give me that I'm going to live for. It is not the success of the world that I'm going to live for. So I, I encourage you to just, maybe it won't happen all of a sudden because this is a huge life changing thing. Um, but I encourage you to start chipping away at that real world insurance policy and saying, I don't need that. I don't need that anymore. I'm going to take the honor that Jesus has to give me when I want to be the servant of all and want to serve in his kingdom, my brothers and sisters and Christ. Um, and that's really liberating, wonderful news. So that is what I have to share with you today. And yeah, I'm going to hand over to Dan, <laughs> who's going to sing for us. And I just I invite you to take the time to reflect on what it is that I've been saying um, and rip up that real world insurance policy if you need to. Over to Dan. Fantastic. Thank you, Jenny. What an outstanding talk. I feel 